hello everyone. Into your mics. Don't be afraid of the microphone. You too. Hello everyone. Uh, welcome to the beauty of the Exile Show. We are the Sound Seekers. My name is Lady Zodiac. And my guests for today are Lady Zodiac, Andile, Doria, Heira, and Jerome. We will be presenting to you today um, our powerful, wonderful stories. Our first um, storyteller for the day, it will be Lady Zodiac. Her topic of the story is called the sun can still shine in the darkness. Sometimes you are faced with a traumatizing situation whereby you don't see a way out of it. It is just so dark and thundery every day. You feel so helpless and so hopeless. It aches and pains so badly and you are all alone in it. But meeting that one person that can help you make a life change by introducing some positive thoughts makes a huge difference. Someone that will make you realize that being sheltered in the darkest room isn't the end of the world. But you just have to appreciate that you have a shelter and believe that the situation isn't permanent. It's gonna just change one day. It's just a life phase that will someday pass. That itself will just bring out the best in you. And you will start building a different life for yourself. Despite the hardships, and you will believe that the outcome will be the best and that sinking boat someday you'll come out of it and make the best out of it. That positive mind that it builds, likewise being in a foreign land, it's a hard journey. You are faced with so many challenges and the only means of transportation you know at that period of time it's just a leap of faith. You are faced with so many sleepless nights and you don't know how your tomorrow will look like. But having the right support system while in the process can make things seem so better that instead of falling into deep depression, you will find yourself picking up those fallen pieces and you'll start building yourself from that miserable and painful situation. You will start uh, seeing the light in the darkness. The sun will start to shine and you will eventually have the hope for the future. Anyway, we all have different stories to tell. So many have made it out through that limbo with great achievements through the support system that was offered to them during the process of hardships. Yeah, that was my story. Uh, Lady Zodiac. <sighs> uh, 
And then our next story, okay, before we go to our next story, anyway, uh, okay, do any of us uh, have something to share before we go to our next story, like um, about the story that Lady Zodiac has shared to us? Any feedback? Um, yeah, anything to say about the story, if you have anything to share. Okay, that's it. So we will go to our next topic. Uh, I will present to you, Andile. The topic is light at the end of the tunnel. Andile. <coughs> Thank you, Lady Zodiac. Hi, my name is Amanda, and I'm here today to share to you my story. I would love to call it my success story, because this is a journey of my life that I have lived till date. I titled it, um, I said, there is light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> I know. Many of you would say, way, because we have heard that saying a lot of times. And some people lose the battles during that tunnel. They don't get to see the light. But today, I'm here to assure you that if you fight right, you will see the light at the end of the tunnel. My story begins when I was a young girl. <coughs> I was left by my mom in the care of my uncle who did everything and anything unimaginable in this world to me as a little girl as I was growing up and when I was grown. I fought every day of my life to a point where sometimes I would give up, think it's over until when I had a, a child, my firstborn, my first son. He became the reason for me to fight because I knew he wouldn't fight for himself, so he depended on me. So I now had to fight for myself and fight for him. That's where the journey began of me fighting through my tunnel, fighting to see the light. It was never easy. Originally, I'm from Zimbabwe. Now I reside here in Ireland. You can imagine the journey. Even without me telling it out to you. As hard as it is to be an immigrant, it's much harder to become that immigrant. There were a lot of challenges for me to getting to Ireland, but somehow I managed to get to Ireland. And I remember when I got here, I felt lost. My life felt unusual. You may ask why. <laughs> because those were the first days of me 
being free. Me sleeping and waking up at my own time, it felt so unusual because it was something that I've never known in my whole life until the time I came to Ireland. My journey of healing, of fighting, and success began when I came to Ireland. I was assigned some few organizations to help me through my journey. And these organizations played a huge role on me. They changed my perspective in a very, very big way. I used to say, if I didn't get here and didn't get to meet these people, I wouldn't have known that life is beautiful. I remember I used to call myself the ocean girl because I used to cry every day. <laughs> At some point, I'll be even praying, fighting with God, asking him why doesn't he give me the strength to fight instead of him feeding me tears to cry every day. But when I got here, I was surprised to see someone who's willing to listen. Because at some point, all we need is a listening ear to unburden ourselves. I was surprised to see someone who cares to help. And that really encouraged me a lot in healing. Because I was carrying so much anger, so much hatred for life, for everything. Because I felt like everybody didn't care about me. But when I got to Ireland, my eyes were opened. I remember in the lodge where I was staying, there was a December after I had gotten my papers. We were approached by a local newspaper to do a presentation of our countries, just presenting on what foods we make for our Christmases at home. And on that very interview, I remember saying it out that how I wish I could get a house in Clonakilty, as this has been my home, as this place has healed me. Because that time, it was during the time where I had to look for a place and move out of the lodge. My heart was broken when I found a place in Cove. Not saying it's not a good place. It was broken because I was now moving out of my comfort zone. Moving out from the people whom I felt protected within. I moved to Cove. Tried to start afresh. It was a huge setback. It was a huge setback. But I realized that there are more wins in my life than for me to be worried of where I am. Because now there's communication. No one is restricting me from talking to anyone. No one is locked me up in some place where I can't even talk to someone. As I was trying to find peace and make it happen for me living in Cove, I was hit by a huge surprise.
I had gotten a house back in Kronakilti. I remember that day, I was so happy. To the extent that I couldn't even believe the letter that was in front of me, I had to send it to a friend and say, please read this for me. I was so happy. I was so happy. <laughs> now me and my boys, we call the house a gift from Santa because it also happened in December and we moved in Clone to celebrate our Christmas in Clone, where I would say, surely Santa got my letter on time. All my friends came, all the people that were close to me came. It was a huge celebration. That's where I know that when you want something, when you fight for it, you get it. You must be determined in whatever you do. I see all my friends who are still in the lodge. When they visit my house, you can feel the sense of freedom in them when they are walking around, when they are doing whatever they are doing. And that gladdens my heart because I can see that hope is packed in them, knowing that they will be the next ones, which is how it has to be. When you're blessed, remember to be a blessing to somebody else. I know what they're going through. I have been there. There is no harm in me opening my home for them. I am talking to you now, my sister, my brother, my uncle, my aunt, my friend. Whatever situation you are facing in life. It shouldn't only be based on GBV. We are not only facing gender-based violence. It can be depression. It can be anxiety. It can be whatever that you're going through. Please fight. Seek help. Let others help you. Like I always say, if it wasn't for the people that helped me, the community that accepted me as their own, I wouldn't have made it. But I'm here today sharing my story with a happy heart because of all the help that I got along the way. All the circumstances, I have now come to believe that they are temporarily but it only depends on you. You have the power. If you don't fight, they will stay forever. But if you fight, that little spark, you will win. I made it. I'm here today sharing my story. my success story so can you if you start fighting if you start looking for help don't be ashamed look for help and that will help you a lot
this is a sign for you to start fighting. It's a time for you to start talking. Don't be oppressed. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Look for help in the right places and you shall find it. Remember, there is always light in the end of the tunnel. Thank you. Thank you so much, Andule, for sharing your love story with us. Uh, it was really a love story with a happy ending. Thank you for that. Um, do you want to say anything to about the story? Actually, it's a sad, sad story and lovely. Yeah, it is indeed. It was really like lovely at the end of it. Anyone else? Yeah, it is a lovely story that um, anybody who's new um, in a country or some anyone who's an immigrant will feel encouraged. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, now our next speaker, it will be Doria. Doria, you can take over. Hello, everyone. My name is Doria. I'm going to tell you a motivating story about the power of resilience. I grew up in a very remote and poor village. Most families in our village had one, if not only two meals a day. In my family of four, that was my dad, my mom, my little brother and I, was more pathetic. Like most villagers, my parents had no formal job. We had to survive through my father's part-time jobs. For many years, I went to school barefooted, walking a long distance of three kilometers to and from school on cracking hills. The roads were dusty during the dry season and muddy during the rainy season. It was an awful situation. I carried books in a plastic bag that was made from an empty millimil bag that had a red company logo on it. You can imagine the situation. I could hardly carry any lunch to school because there was nothing. I loved school so much, and I, I, I was intelligent, too. But it was hard to survive the situation. I remember at times I, would, I used to cry when other children laughed at me at my cracked hills. When I finished my high school, I got into serious depression because my parents could not afford to take me further with my studies, although I had passed with flying colors. I was stuck at home. I had nothing to do. Most of the days I would sit and bask behind the poor mud hut and would start sobbing out my misery, feeling useless and having no purpose in life. I remember at one point, a thought of coming of committing suicide crossed my mind. Thanks to the birds that usually chirped and twittered from the trees, I sat alone quietly. It sounded as if they were saying, don't you worry, it shall be okay. 
they somehow always distracted me f- away from the thought of ending my life. It was one day, though, that about th- that was three months after doing nothing except for the part-time jobs here and there, that I remembered Anderson, one of the villagers who had come to visit his family over the Christmas holidays. He had shared about how great the neighboring country was. He had told me about the good opportunities and the good life there. I saw my face smiling from a reflection. Something had come into my mind. Wow, I should try to get there and start a new life. I had a bit of money that I had saved and it was going to, uh, to take me there. That same evening, I put myself together and got ready to tell my parents about my plan, even though I was shaking like a leaf about their responses. My parents were very protective regardless of the societal status in the village. Like most kitchens in the village, ours was also made of a simple mud, round in shape and thrashed. My dad used to sit next to the door in his wooden chair. My mom, my little brother and I would always sit far next far inside the hut. Next to the mud next to the mud fitted cupboards. The center of the hut was the fireplace. We used to we used the kangli for light. We finished our supper and I waited for a moment of silence. Mom and Dad I have decided to go to the neighboring country and look for greener pastures and to try and make money for further to further my studies. The room was quiet for some time as they tried to digest what I had just said. I was desperate for their response at that time. My father then broke the silence, starting by clearing his throat, following by a, followed by a husking voice. <coughs> I had you, my daughter. Yes, I give you my blessing. But I'm worried, though, that you are still a young lady and you may not be safe out there. Anyone can take advantage of you. I wish I could help the situation and take you to college, but I can't afford it, he sobbed. My mom uttered no word, but kept on sighing, showing disbelief of what I just said and, and in hesitation. However, I convinced them to the point of understanding. I even lied to them that Anderson had promised that he would help me find a job when I got to the neighboring country. And that gave them a little peace of mind. I was doing this for them to let, them, to let me go and not to worry too much. My aim was to fight poverty that was hovering in our family and get money for my college studies. I had to do it. Oh yes, I had to be resilient. Three days later, I packed my poor bag that I had borrowed from my little brother. My brother had got it from an NGO representative uh, to use for preschool. It had a picture of Mickey Mouse on the side pocket. The side zips were not working, but only the center one. <laughs> I didn't care. All that was important 
was that I pegged my my clothes inside. I loved my blue dress that my former teacher brought bought it bought for me after I had passed my exams the previous year. I loved it so much. I also picked another two old dresses. That's all I had. I was going to wear my red tracksuit and my only blue tennis shoes, which were worn out, fading color on the sides. The gear was going to be ideal, considering the rough circumstances of the journey that I was warned about. I had to cross one of the most dangerous rivers since I had no passport to go to the neighboring country, but I had to go. Many were using the same dangerous route anyway. There were still going to be some challenges further trying to get to the big city of the neighboring country for a job. I had to walk through the bushes from the river to the main road for hikes, and I had to avoid going through roadblocks because if by any chance police could discover that I was an illegal immigrant, I could be deported straight away. I approached Mike, the shop owner, who was known for assisting people into the neighboring country. Mike was very helpful with information. He communicated with his friend Joseph, who was going to help me cross into the neighboring country. It was his job anyway, and people paid him for his services, even though it was illegal and dangerous. The day to leave came. I kissed my family goodbyes and left in the morning at around five. It was a sad moment leaving my family, not even sure if I was going to do the right thing, not even sure if I would make it to the big city of the neighboring country, not even sure if I was if I will survive with the little money that I had, not knowing where I was going to sleep. My mom waved her hand to me and quickly gave me her back into her heart and I knew immediately that she was in deep pain about the whole situation. My father stared at me in silence and my li- my sleepy little brother said, bye Sissy, bring me some sweets. I dragged my feet off to the bus stop, stopped sh- and started sh- shedding some tears. It was, all, it was an awful moment, but I had to be resilient. The bus came and hovered through the dusty roads and got me to the nearest town regardless. I dropped, it dropped me next to my hiking point in no time. I got a hiking to the river crossing as per the directions that I was given by Mike. I also managed to locate Joseph. He was waiting for me. A very massive and bold enough body to do this kind of a job indeed. He gave me advice before we left for crossing and warned me that there will be hyenas in the thick forest and that we needed to be silent as we walked through. He also warned me of crocodiles in the river and that he did not guarantee a successful crossing to anyone he helped. God, I sighed, as I felt butterflies in my tummy. I felt really scared, but I had to do it. I had to be resilient. 
The waters were silent and blue. I stood there nervously, watching the river. My eyes were over the waters and the muddy river banks, scanning for any motion, lest it could be the crocodiles. It was traumatic. It was traumatic to think that I had to cross there. Joseph instructed me to follow him to a rocky area. That was where I was going to cross. Wow, in 10 minutes we had crossed the dangerous 60 meter wide river. The next challenge was to try and get a hike to the big city. Joseph walked me a kilometer to the bus stop and I w he went back. I stood there alone for almost an hour trying to stop cars with no luck. Eventually a, a car stopped by. I felt safe because the driver was, the la was a lady. I told her that I was going to be to the big city and that that's where she was going to. I got into a Toyota Yaris that she was driving. She pulled off onto the road. She noticed that I was not okay. I faked a bit of confidence though. But again, it came to my mind that if by any chance she asked me any question, I would tell her about my situation. Who knew maybe she could help? When she was stable on the road, she started the conversation. It is when it is then that I managed to tell her my story. She was actually shocked that I had the guts to take so much risk. It was not expected from a young lady like me, she commented. It was quiet again for a while in the car. I could see she was feeling sorry for me. At that moment, I tried to roll my eyes around the inside the car, making sure that she didn't notice my curiosity. Her daughter sat behind on the back seat, and she was playing games on her tablet. Next to her was a, a food takeaway box. It looked like there was food inside and a bottle half filled with juice. I could tell there was some leftovers inside. I felt so hungry, but I was too shy to ask. By the way, the time was 12 noon, and I had not eaten anything, and I was tired from walking. I could smell a, a bad odor from my armpits due to sweat. I sat tightly so that the bad smell could not reach her somehow. She was a superwoman, I concluded. She wore a beautiful wig and had her nails painted red and had red lips on a mild makeup. The car smelled divine from lavender air freshener. In my mind, I was wondering if going to, if going to the big city and getting a good job will make me look like her. Only God knew. At 6 p.m., she dropped me in the big city. She could not help me with much more, but she gave me her number on a piece of paper and told me to ring her in two weeks' time in case she got any job for me. She refused to take my money for the hike. 
that was a blessing to me because I still had a bit of money on me. I crossed the streets and robots in town as if I knew where I was going. I saw a signal to a hospital and I decided to follow it. I had thought of loitering around the hospital until the next morning so I could figure out what to do next. At the hospital, it was busy, in and out. No one could notice me until it was around 10 at night when the streets around were becoming quiet. A security guard came to me and asked if I was okay, but because but before I replied, his phone rang. I was surprised that he was speaking in one of our home languages. That gave me confidence to talk to him. When he finished his call, I was already crying and got his sympathy. I explained my situation to him. He was not allowed to let me stay or loiter around the hospital at night, but he advised me to try and hide behind the tall buildings for the night and promised that he would talk to his friend who was working as a cleaner in the morning at the hospital. She could accommodate me into her shack. I walked, I walked behind the buildings, ate my bread, and curled myself into a corner against the walls until it was the next morning. The next morning, I went back to the security guard. He had already spoken to the lady. Her name was Mimi. What a kind woman she was. She told me to wait for her to finish her duties and she left to, we left together to her house. By 12 noon, we were already at her place. She advised me to take a bath immediately. <laughs> I could sense she, could, she couldn't stand my order from the sweat although she tried hard not to show it. She gave me food. And when I finished bathing, she gave me food and I finished bathing. Then she took me to the shack at the back of her house and she allowed me to stay until I got a job. The shack was made of chipboard bars. I could see through the layers. I could see the outside side outside from the layers. I didn't complain because that was more than enough to assist me start a life. I had to appreciate it. She was using the shack as a storeroom, by the way. The other side of the shack was pegged with old dusty furniture and an old bicycle wheel hung from the broken ceiling. She gave me a mat and two blankets to use. I prepared to sleep on the floor. Before blowing the kangli off, I grabbed my little brother's bag to use as a pillow. Then I looked at it. I shed tears again, thinking of him and my parents. Yes, life was tough, I said to myself, but I had to be positively resilient to win. During the night, I could hear rats racing each other, crossing the room, in and out of the furniture, old furniture, I had to be strong. Mimi had offered to dish food for me every day. Days went by. I looked, I worked, I had to wake up in the mornings and roam around the streets in the township, taking, talking to people in search for a job. 
when the two weeks went by, on a Thursday, I asked Mimi to borrow me her phone, and I rang the lady who had given me a lift. Fortunate enough, she was excited to hear from me and told me that she had been waiting for me to call because she had got me a job to mind her colleague's child. She came the next day to fetch me. I thanked Mimi and her two children for being so kind to me. The job began to shed some light to my life. I worked as a child minder, and during weekends I took extra cleaning jobs. I could afford to support my family back home and saved enough money to go back home for college and enough to sustain my family while I was at college. It was not easy to make that decision again, but I had to do it because going to college was going to be a ladder to a better life for me, hence a better life for my family too. I had to do it. I had to be resilient. I went back to my home country as planned. I opted for a one-year auxiliary course, and I got it got me a reasonable job for qualifying as a nursing assistant. I continued to study part-time until I got my nursing degree. A few years later, I was promoted to a senior position at the hospital. My life and that of my family improved until today. The power of resilience saw us through the success. The power of resilience saw us through to success. My family is happy. I am now happily married and we have a beautiful daughter. I'll teach her not to allow failure in her life. I'll teach her to be positively resilient in order to reach her goals in life. Thank you. Wow, such a strong story. <laughs> that was The Power of Resilience by Doria. Thank you so much, Doria, for sharing your story with us. It was so emotional. <laughs> I feel so emotional right now. <laughs> oh, would you mind sharing with us what motivated you to write the story and share with us today? Um, it's because uh, in my life and in other people's lives, I've seen and picked that uh, success is usually from being resilient, being strong, not allowing anything to be an obstacle, not allowing anything to stop what you want to achieve. Thank you. Oh, that's a great one. Thank you so much. What do you think, guys, about uh, Doria's story? It's a very nice story. Emotional. Yeah, it was emotional. It is a deep story with a great meaning and a great lesson in it. Surely resilience is the answer. Thank you for sharing with our story. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Um, our next guest, uh, it will be Haida, the Dark Tunnel. Yes, hello, everyone. Hello, I want to share some observations about the legal and political context for refugee in particular. I'm going to share some highlight on the challenge facing for refugee from Iraq, my home country. My name is Haider Jaffa and I am an asylum seeker and a journalist from Iraq who lives in Cork with the refugees from all over the world. I have tasted the suffering 
and eliminations because of the condition in my country. A refugee, a person who leave, leaves their country and uh, seek asylum to reset in the country other than their home. This can be reason to related towards armed or conflict by the ethnic or religion or the other because of gender beside the forcing or the schedule for the political reason related or identity idea and beliefs this is can cause the person experience restrictions uh, and which force them to leave their country in the order to seek asylum and the protection elsewhere sometimes people leave for economy reasons related to variety of luck to lower market opportunity or because of leaving confident for the refugee is not enough to recycle human suffering Result international mechanisms must be development in order complete with the principle of the protection private by the rules of international law. The word refugee was historically and protection as the custom community of perfect the refugee in country which they strong refer. Custom required the state not ex extra tight the asylum seeker over the protection where as, as uh, like an Ireland when they receive uh, the Ukrainian during the refugee week people consider the number of refugee situation at the globally level especially on the on hand the humanitarian aspect on the other hand of fairly of international community to provide the necessary uh, protect refugee and uh, define their lives and right uh, according with the law the first country experience asylum where is the discretion was my country Iraq which has suffered from many calamities some some country appear racist by not giving propriety to this country to this day. There is no appearance of the elements of France of to giving full right to citizen when they requested asylum in another country. This is do the policy of the country do not to knowledge the dangers forced of some people in Iraq. The tragedy of the Iraq refugee was long and around and absurd and last for more than three decided. There are first immigration for political reasons include a few thousand in the last civilization. Uh, During the private of the Iran and Iraq war, 98 and 1988, Tens thousands of people were forced immigrant and asylum seeker. The the birth of the international block it was one of the most mis 
travel season of asylum, especially due the economy force hundreds of thousand people forced seeking a political humanitarian asylum. Include huge number of refugee feeling abroad and visit a moment of internationally displaced persons. Here in Ireland, refugee and asylum policy were very weak. Everything was not well enough out. It was confused. Protection and asylum in some cases without valid reasons because it's since dependent not on the law and the constellation, but they are according to the interpatients or the case office by the case office. Other residents like the housing crisis, there must be open policy that not missing and not risk monetary. There is housing and work crisis, dis discriminations and racism in employment problem with the uh, direct urgent system. I would like to thank all of you for giving me a chance to share some observation on my, my experience in Ireland. Thank you. Thank you so much, Heida, for sharing your story with us. Um, would you mind, anyway, telling us what you like mostly about story writing? Actually, I write uh, about political and analyze. Okay. Yes. Okay, thank, thank you. Uh, what do you think, Angela, about Heida's story? You know, it is really sad, you know, that some countries would not shelter other countries in need. But I'm grateful for him that he found a place that can accommodate him and he can also feel safe regardless of where he comes from. Thank you, Angela, for sharing. And you, Doria? I'm just happy that he can speak out and I hope you encourage others to speak out as well and share their grievances. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, our next speaker, it will be Jerome. It will be the interview with Michelle. So I think what we'll do here is we'll play the interview and then we'll have Jerome coming after. program to education for asylum seekers and refugees through the World Bank and Refugee Congress. Okay. And so roughly, how how many people are, uh, and when did the Mukiza program start actually? So the Mukiza program started in 2017 with the integration support unit in, in Waterford and then moved to Waterford. 
private area partnership in 2018 and it's been running through there since then and um, 